I have felt the weight of what I want to share this morning all week, simply because in my years in the church, I've come across so many diverse opinions and thoughts about it. Uh, but I, 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 I said to the Lord this morning, I said, uh, if I'm preaching your truth, I want to thank you that you're going to be there and you're going to enforce it in the nicest of ways. And uh, I, I believe that uh, all that is said is taken directly from the Word of God. I view God's Word as the highest authority, and uh, God and His Word are one. Uh, you, you cannot, uh, you know, separate the two. So I, I'm just happy this morning to be sharing something that if you will embrace it, and start to run with it, it'll change your life. Uh, Mostly because we live in a broken world. Uh, Our world is bust, folks, you know that. Uh, Every every newspaper, every TV screen, and things you see and hear um, just lets us know that uh, the world is in trouble. And, uh, but, but the fact that Jesus came He came to restore everything that was lost in the garden by uh, Adam and Eve's original disobedience. Jesus has come to restore it. And uh, so as we continue this morning with the questions that Jesus asked, uh, and there have been some great insights from it, hasn't there? Uh, I mean, the depth is way beyond the short sentence of his question on the page. And uh, we've just been so blessed by, by what we've discovered. And the question I want to deal with this morning is Jesus asking, what do you want me to do for you? And uh, we find that, that four times in the Gospels, Jesus asks that question, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, there's some debate by, by folk as to whether it all deals with the same incident or whether uh, they were different incidents. Uh, there are good arguments on both sides. But I, I'm, not, I'm not really bothered by whether it was the same incident or not. I'm really fixed on the fact that he asked it. Yes. What do you want me to do for you? Uh, there's one other instance where he asked it, and that was in, in uh, Mark chapter 10, where, uh, where James and John came to him and asked him for a privileged position in heaven one day, and uh, he kind of sorted that out quickly and put them in their place. But uh, the, the predominant occurrence of this question is in the context of physical healing. It's in the context where people needed God to do something for them. Uh, uh, the, the, the scripture centers around m- people who are blind. And uh, blind Bartimaeus is one of those that, that is mentioned in that context, Jesus asking that question. Uh, there's another incident in John chapter 5. Jesus asks the same question of a lame man. A fellow who's been uh, lying at the pool of Bethesda, 
and uh, the scriptures talk about an angel coming and stirring the waters and then those who can get in quickly, they are healed. And uh, so someone must have told Jesus about this fellow's dilemma, being lame, he couldn't move quickly. And uh, so he'd been there for many years. And Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? But he says it in different, a different way. He says it like this. Do you want to get well? And when I read those two questions, what do you want me to do for you? Do you want to get well? I sense the, the same intent uh, in, behind each question that Jesus is wanting to draw out from them a response that says, in essence, my wording, Lord, I'll take anything you can give me. And so I, I, I want to present to you this morning, uh, hopefully very clearly from the Word of God, uh, a pathway that we can follow as we, we look at what the highest authority, God's Word, has to say about sickness. Uh, there's, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that God, through the death burial and resurrection of Jesus, especially the wounds inflicted upon his body, provided for us healing. There's much debate on whether God wants to heal the sick or not, or whether God will do it, whether it's his will to heal people. Uh, but I, I, I want to approach a response to that stance this morning by first of all saying, did Jesus perfectly reveal the Father's heart towards mankind? Did Jesus, in his ministry, what he said, what he did, did he perfectly reveal what the Father felt about mankind and our dilemmas? And I think it will be good for us to allow Jesus to answer that for himself. So we're going to look at a few scriptures that are the red-letter uh, portions of your New Testament. they the words that Jesus himself spoke. In John 10 verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. We're not divided. We're one. We don't have different opinions. We're one in what we think. In John 17 and verse 22, Jesus says, The glory that you have given me, speaking to his Father, I have given to them, his followers, that they may be one, even as we are one. Clearly, the Son in his humanity and the Father in his divinity from the mouth of Jesus, he's saying that they are one in nature, one in heart, one in perfections. He's saying that uh, they're one in, in their consent and in their will. He's making it clear that they're doing the same things. He's also emphasizing the fact that they have the same intention as they face the challenges uh, that, that Jesus faced as he went through uh, his, his three years of ministry. In John 14, verse, three, uh, verse 9, rather, 
Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Now, that this was beautifully expanded upon last week, anointedly uh, presented to us. Uh, Philip, how can you ask to see the Father? In other words, what you've seen me be, what I've said, what I've done, is a perfect reflection of the Father. And then he, he takes it further. is uh, is in essence implying here that whatever you see in the life and ministry of Jesus is a perfect view of the Father. A perfect view of God. There was such an uh, intense union uh, in their nature and in their purpose that if you understood the one, you would understand the other. And that's precisely what Jesus is bringing out here. In John 5, 19, Jesus answers and says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does. So what you see Jesus doing is a perfect reflection of the actions and intentions of God the Father. And I I, I can't present to you a more eloquent argument than these words of Jesus himself. He he makes it so clear uh, that there there can be no doubt that he is perfectly reflected the Father's heart and intentions for mankind. Think about these truths that we've just read out to you now. Think about them. And then consider Jesus' question, do you want to be well? This deeply challenges me. And has done for a number of years now. I mean, I've always believed in divine healing. I've always believed that there is healing to be had in and through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Uh, I've always believed that, but it's taken on a new dimension. It's taken on a brand new light in my life. And uh, I, I, now that I, that I have more time in, on my hands, you know, I can, I can pursue these things. And the more I dig, the more I pray, the more I research the more convinced I become that what we see in the life and ministry of Jesus is a perfect reflection of what God thinks about things down here. Secondly, we, as we travel on our journey down this road, I believe that it is God's desire for us to experience His love. John 1, uh, rather 1 John 4 Uh, verse 8 and then verse 16 makes a simple but the most incredibly powerful statement. It says, God is love. Now, God wants us to experience what he is. He wants us to experience his love. And would he then withhold from us certain matters that that would blur our understanding of his love 
if it is his intention for us to experience his love. God is love. God is the fountain, he's the author, he's the parent, if you like, of love. God is the source of love. Do you think love came from the opposite side of the, the two realms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness? Of course not. Love could only come proper, you know, godly love. That It can only come from God. God is the very essence, the very heart of love. I love that verse in Matthew 7, verse 11, where Jesus addresses people around him and he says, if you then, who are evil, meaning fallen, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? His love is manifested in every good work. It doesn't come from from the other side of the divide. It, It comes from the kingdom of light. Everything that's good... Everything that, 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 that enhances and, and, and uh, produces productivity and, and uh, forward momentum, progress, success, etc. It comes from the goodness of God's heart. In J- James 1.17 it's reinforced where it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, speaking about God, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, it's constant. And so I come to the conclusion then that that is why when we watch Jesus in his earthly ministry, we see him healing all who came to him. It's because of the love of God's heart. It's because of the good intentions that God has for us. And there are a number of scriptures. I I didn't take the time to research how many there were, but uh, in my Bible I have a number of scriptures in the New Testament that I've circled with a red pen where it says that they brought to him the sick and those who were ailing and so forth, and he healed them all. A perfect reflection of the love that God has for us. I would, I would, I would encourage you to uh, <clears throat> do a, a search in your concordance uh, and find all those scriptures that speak about Jesus healing all who came to him. There's one notable occasion <clears throat> that took place in his hometown, Nazareth. Uh, in Matthew 13, it's recorded that it says, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. It's not because of an unwillingness from his part. It's just their lack of faith would not receive what he could give. Mark's account puts it like this. He laid his hands on a few sick folk and he healed them. 
Those he laid his hands on, those he touched, he healed. It was unbelief that limited the positive result that they needed. There's another verse that I want to share with you, and I think it's worth looking at. Uh, you remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood? And uh, they, they, uh, it's recorded that she, she said to herself, if I can only touch the hem of his, of his garment, uh, I will be made whole. And uh, you remember the story goes, she pressed through the crowd, she touched the hem of his garment, and she was made whole. And Jesus responded by saying, who touched me? And it, the disciples must have looked at one another and well, is he, is he for real? Look at the crowds around him. They're jostling him. How can he ask who touched me? But the difference was she touched him with intent. She touched him with purpose. She, she in her heart had said, if I can touch him, the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And now that story must have circulated, done the rounds, so much so that there were many others who wanted to touch his garment. And they made, made their way to Jesus, and the Bible records that when they touched his garment, not just the woman with the issue of blood, but all these others, they were all made well. Matthew fourteen thirty six. They begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as, or in other words, the all that I've just referred to, as many as touched it were made perfectly well. So I submit to you that every healing that you read about in the Gospels was a demonstration of the Father's love. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8 says, Love never fails. Remember, we just read, God is love. God never fails. God's love never falls short. God's love never wavers. And because of these truths, his desire to provide healing for now is as strong as it was when Jesus ministered on this earth. Do you want to get well? I believe that love provides the answer. A third step I'd like us to take this morning is to accept the fact that healing is provided. Speaking of Jesus' atonement, the uh, prophet Isaiah, uh, in, in the 53rd chapter and verse 5, prophesies that by his wounds we are healed. He's looking forward 700 years and prophesying that when, when the Messiah, Jesus the Redeemer, uh, uh, pays the ultimate price for our redemption, that by the wounds inflicted upon him, life would issue from those wounds, the very life of God, and those wounds would be the source of healing for you and I today. As I said, 700 years later, Peter the Apostle, writing in his very first uh, epistle, 
he affirms that that work has been accomplished because he uses the past tense. And he says, by his wounds, you have been healed. You have been. And it's proved in, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 19 after Jesus had healed people, uh, the inspired writing by the, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it says this, this was to fulfill, the healing of the people was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. How much plainer do we want it to be? Folks, are you with me here? Are you tracking with me? Are you seeing what the highest authority, God's word, not Paul Rass's opinion, what the word of God says? Do you want to be well? And I would say we need to embrace these truths. He took, he took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. So I make a massive statement here. Jesus bore our sicknesses on the cross. In that same 53rd chapter of Isaiah, uh, verse 6, it says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I make another huge statement. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He bore our sicknesses, he bore our sins on the cross. Let me put it another way. When Jesus dealt with sin on the cross, and he did, he also dealt with sickness in the same way and at the same time. Which brings me to the next step that we take this morning. And I ask this question. If Jesus bore our sicknesses, then why do we still get sick? Sickness is part of the fallenness of this world. I don't know if there's such a word in the English language, but it helps me this morning. It's part of the fallen condition of this world. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies in the power, some translations say, in the lap of the evil one. It says elsewhere in Romans that nature groans waiting for the day of redemption to be released from the fact that because of the fall that took place, uh, the world lies in the lap of the evil one. But we fix our gaze this morning on a mighty, awesome victory that took place on Calvary 2,000 years ago, where Jesus broke the hold of sin and of death, where he affirmed to all who were listening, not just those on earth, but in the heavenlies, that he has the keys of hell and of death, and all authority has been given to him. So he introduced a new era, this is the era where you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, across this globe, as we march forward in the name of Jesus and upon the basis of his provision, 
And every time we are confronted by that which is broken and fallen, we come in the name of Jesus and all that he offers, and we reverse that situation in lives and even in situations. And by our prayers, we can reverse it in this nation or any other nation. I'd love to say more about that. So sickness does occur because of the fallenness of this world. There are natural causes we have to consider. If we don't take care of our bodies, we shouldn't be surprised when we get sick. That was a thunderous amen. (laughs) Let me remind you. We saw from the word of God that Jesus bore our sins on the cross. But it's a fact that we still sin. We're not perfect. Jesus paid the penalty of sin. Jesus overcame the power of sin. Jesus neutralized the presence of sin. And in the light of what we just said, what he did in terms of sin, he did in terms of sickness. And although he carried sin, we still fall from time to time. By the grace of God, we restored. The minute we repent, he carried sickness, but we still get sick for reasons more than I have time to mention this morning. But I'm trying to bring us to a place where we can see the way out of that. It's not inevitable. It's not a given that we have to go down that road. Because Jesus has provided a solution. As he did for sin, so he's done for sickness. God spans all of time. Three times in the book of Revelation I read that speaking about him, that he who was and is and is to come. He who in the past and in the present and in the future is Lord of all. And so when we consider the fact that Jesus carried the penalty of sin, we look at it in terms of the past. He took the penalty of our sin. He's already done it. Slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13.8. If you believe that and you embrace that, you become born again. Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. You walk in the experience of salvation. You'll never be punished for your past. The bill for our sin has been paid in full. if we embrace and accept Jesus as our Savior, that becomes a truth in our lives. When we consider that work in the present, right now Jesus has given us power 
over sin. Through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are able to resist sin, we are able to say no to its temptations. But that doesn't mean that sin is not present in the world, it's everywhere. And sometimes we do fall under the power of sin. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We consider that work on the cross in terms of the future. At some point in the future, Jesus is going to remove from the scene, once and for all, the presence of sin. Lord, hasten that day. But when I look at those facts and I then think in terms of, this, of sickness and what we'd said, that Jesus dealt with sickness in the same way and at the same time, I consider it in the past that, that he has taken the penalty of our sickness. Matthew eight seventeen, He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Now I want you to listen carefully to me. Whether you love me after this or not, that's up to you. But I really want you to hear what I'm going to say now. You're listening, class. Sit up. Pay attention. God is never, never going to punish me with sickness. He paid a massive price to do away with that. And he's not going to turn back on that. God does not put sickness on people. I hear people say, God is punishing me. God is teaching me a lesson etc. Sentiments of that kind. My friends, nothing could be further from the truth. You know the old Joseph principle that what the enemy intended for evil, God can turn to good? Well, I've learned some things in sickness, but God didn't make me sick to learn it. It was the only time that I slowed down, grew quiet, and listened to what he had to say. If it was true that God taught us or put sickness on us, then I feel sorry for the doctors in our congregation. Because if God is trying to teach me something and they're giving you a prescription and treating, they're going against the will of God. I thank God for doctors and I thank God for medical science. I thank God for all the people involved in that field, the physios, etc. We'd be in the right mess if we didn't have them. Because a high percentage of believers do not walk the high road. 
They do not walk that road that requires faith, that requires a a burning of bridges so that they can experience what God wants to do. We haven't got the time this morning, but if you read Mark 9, Jesus there gives us a perfect illustration of how to deal with sickness. He says, if you will believe in your heart and not doubt, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And he's referring to the obstacles that prevent us from living in a way that is exemplary, that, that, that proclaims the, the fullness of what he's provided for us through, through the cross. Speak to this mountain. It doesn't say talk to God about your mountain. It says you, in faith, speak to the mountain and tell it to be removed. And I talk to mountains just about every day of my life. There are things in my body that I'm, I'm standing against. I'm not going to settle for it. And I speak to that mountain and I say, because of the provision that Jesus has, has, has provided for me through his wounds, I tell you, mountain, and I name it, be removed from me and be cast into the sea. And that's why I look as if I'm 40 years old and not the age that I am. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But you understand where I'm coming from. I think there is a high road that has been made available to us. But we've been so numbed in our reasoning, so numbed by life's experiences when it didn't happen the way we thought it should that we've settled for the low road. Can I encourage you? Please make a a decision today. You're going to aim for the high road and you're going to go for that. You're going to live a life that that exemplifies the, the provision of Jesus, divine health, by walking in it, confessing it. Presently, Jesus has given us power over sickness by the use of our faith. And even if there are times that, you know, we feel the old dreaded flu coming on, continue to stand, resisting it, speaking it. Speak to your mountain. I want to stress that. 90% of the time we talk to God about our mountain. That's not how Jesus gave us the example. He said, speak to the mountain. And it shall be cast into the sea. Walking in health is a big challenge. It's a daily challenge. I think I've shared with you before now how that you take your, your prescription that the doctor has given you, you take it two or three times a day. You take it regularly and you're very, you're very uh, you know, 
focused on doing it correctly. And I would say, find yourself some scriptures that speak about your, your health and about what Jesus has provided and take those as a prescription every single day. Do it, to, do it with every meal that you have. Do it before you, you put your head down for the last time on the pillow at the end of the day. Fill your life with the highest authority. You're speaking the word of God. I could get excited here. And I must watch myself. I mustn't. When you speak the word of God and you live by the word of God, it draws a response from God that is unique. That takes care of the present. And I can tell you with great expectation that the time is coming when sickness in the future will be eradicated altogether. So remember what we said? Jesus bore our sin. Jesus bore our sickness. And we need to to aim for that higher ideal of walking in health. How do we do that? Well, how did we receive forgiveness for our sin? By receiving through faith what God already provided by grace. Grace has provided it, faith will appropriate it. So we walk daily believing for health, believing for healing. And in the end, we follow Job's example. We just trust God. I heard somebody give their testimony this week and they said this, Lord, we trust you for the healing. And they mentioned what it was. But if not, if not, No matter what happens, we will still trust you. Do you remember the fellow called Job? I mean, no one here is going to put their hand up and say, I wouldn't mind going through what he went through, just so that I could have his blessing at the end of it. You'll have to read the book of Job to see what he went through. It was disastrous. But there's a verse right in the heart of that story where he says this. He says, even if he kills me, still I will trust him. And so as we together go on this journey where we're responding to the question of Jesus, what do you want me to do for me? Do you want to get well? As, as we walk through this journey with him. If there are times that we feel we haven't quite measured up and the experience seems to be negative, please don't stop trusting him. It's his trust. 
It's our trust in him that carries us through, that brings glory to his name. I'm going to repeat an illustration that I gave some months ago. I had a Bible, if you remember right, and I said this was God's word, it is the highest authority in the universe because it's his word. He and his word are one, it's him, what he says, his values. I said, we, we are down here and we've got our, our experiences, what we're going through. They're very real to us. Remember me encouraging you to look at that and not deny it, but to rather take the stance, it is fact, but it's not final. It's not final because there is provision for something greater. And what we need to be doing is raising our life's experience to fit into the Word of God. And not because of what we've actually walked in, lower the standards of God's word and fit it into our lives. Now, I don't know if I should be ducking stones right now or not. But I tell you, if this will only settle in your heart, you see a massive difference in your life. You will. Because God will come alongside what you stand for and believe in and what you speak with your mouth. That is a teaching all on its own. It's powerful. And God will see to it that his word, what he sent his word to accomplish, will be fulfilled. What can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Do you want to get well? I believe there have been enough truths from God's word this morning to help us in that. This is not meant to be a put down at all. It is solely meant to inspire and raise us to a higher level so that we walk through life on the high road and not the low road. Let's pray.